Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics Done Right. I'm Berto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being a part of the show. We're going to have a great show for you today. We have a great guest, so what we need to do is kind of like get busy one time right away because it's going to be quite a bit that we're covering. Let me go ahead and cue a few things up here, make sure that we get it out, get it out, get it out. Okay, how are we going to start? We have our good friends here already. Welcome aboard, Eric Hayes. Welcome aboard. Peggy Lopez, AVQ, of course, here with the Información. Michael Rodney says, I have the worst headache right now, going to be listening, but the comments, forget about them today. Michael, you get better with that headache. You know, I've been waking up with headaches the last few days and been doing the, um, the Tylenol thing, but you know what? I actually am doing much better. I don't know what happened, but ¿Qué pasó? Tú sabes cómo va la vaina. All right, Michael Rodney says, Trump dongles prospect of pardons for January 6th defendants if elected in 2024. Why didn't Trump pardon the insurrectionists on January 7th? Because Trump's only interested in himself. He didn't give a damn about any of his supporters. All this is a show to gain power while dragging our nation further through the mud. Joe Rogan, second item from Rudnan. Joe Rogan responds to growing protests over COVID-19 misinformation on Spotify. Rogan's comment came after the music streaming service announced it would add a content advisory to any podcast episode that discusses the coronavirus. Uh, let's see, Rogan basically saying that he would put on proper experts uh, after having conspiracy nutters on his equivalent difference between a neutrality and objectivity. One idiot says two plus two is six. Then a fact checker comes and say 2 plus 2 is 4. You don't, spit, you don't split the difference and say 2 plus 2 is 5. You correct the idiot and don't bother having them on the first place. Muchas gracias. That is exactly right. And that they can't see that. You just don't put people on to make that because you have a platform and some people would hold on to. They won't wait for the response. They won't wait for the good information. It is ridiculous. But let me, I, I want to, you know, like we say, we come here to learn. There are two things. There's a big difference between Facebook and Spotify. Spotify don't just is not just a channel which people do what they want on, right? Spotify actually bought Grogan for a hundred million dollars. They are responsible for his content, so that's why they're they're backtracking and doing all kinds of crazy things right now. So let's be clear on that. That's very, very, very important to, to understand that we can ha we can force spotify to take rogan off the air grogan off the air and the reason why grogan comes out with a video and said oh i'm going to do better i'm going to try it's because they understand the difference between facebook and spotify let me tell you we need to get grogan off he knows better all right while lobbying to kill build back better pharma hikes cost of 866 drugs for months pharmaceutical lobbyists which outnumber number of Congress and Capitol Hills by a ratio of three to one have worked aggressively to water down or sink Democrats' legislation, pouring money into the campaign coffers of friendly lawmakers and spending millions on falsehoods, riddle advertising. I, I played some of those for you against the Build Back Better package, specifically the Medicare provisions. The entirety of the Republican Party is bought, but so are a substantial number of establishment Democrats. Big money corruption is our politics has always been the underlying source of our woes, adversely affecting every other issue we care about. But it seems to that the fix that the people's benefit, we need more anti-corruption progress. So look, folks, I want to warn all of you, everybody that's listening to my voice right now, I want you, I want you to understand this. The lobbyists are doing their jobs. The corporate executives 
are doing their jobs. It is the system that is screwed. The definition of the capitalist system says that the responsibility of the executives is to maximize the profits of the, of the shareholders. That is the stakeholder they care about, the shareholder. Only government can come in and protect we, the people. We, the people, must be responsible for protecting we, the people. They, the corporations, are there to, co- to protect those who own them. They're not, everybody's doing their jobs. But what you as a voter, what you as a person who wants to take control isn't to put your tail between your legs and say, throw your hands up in the air and say, oh, it, nothing's going to change. We don't have the power to change it. You do. But you first have to go beyond the crap they tell you on TV where they tell you, oh, if you go ahead and tax us that we won't be able to develop products anymore and you'll be... Because the lie is that you already develop the products when you give money to the, to the universities and when you give grants to the pharmaceuticals to develop products that generally they won't... They don't take risks. The ones who take risks are we the people. Their risks of the corporation is what we call socialized risks. Meaning, when, when, when we build the, the vaccines, we pour a lot of money into them. And they're, they're, to show that they're psychopaths, they just don't have enough money. They, they make billions from what we're doing with, with giving them all this money for masks. We're giving them all this money for drugs. The, the, pharmaceut- the, 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 uh, the pharmaceutical companies are getting all this money for the vaccines. They're getting money for the therapeutics. They're getting money for all of this. And it's not enough. It's not enough. We've got to take more. We want to give more, more, more. When is enough? You are a psychopath, corporations. You are psychopaths. While people are, people are suffering, people can't afford the drugs. And you're going to tell me 866 new drugs are going to, be, are going to increase in pricing? To my right-wing brothers and sisters, can't you see that you are also being screwed? You are defending those who are screwing you? Can't you see it? Come on, brothers. Come on, sisters. Peggy Lopez says, On January 31st, 1950, President Truman announced the support for development of the hydrogen bomb, a weapon hundreds of times more powerful than the atomic bomb, dropped on Japan during World War II. Exactamente. Why is that fired on vaccinated healthcare workers are now asked to come back? Could it be the premature and woke idea that they should be let go and the brainy idea caused a shortage? Uh, I'm not going to go there again with you, Eric. All right, I care more about humanity. You can keep following the right wing and carry your family into death and carry those who you know into, oh, I am going to keep, I'm going to go the Grogan route. Have fun. Not here. Melanie Keelan says, I am here. Melanie Keelan, welcome aboard, my dear friend. Kathy Courtney says, off topic, but we are worried. Are you, cons- are, your, are you a constituent in Congressional District 29? Congress uh, Representative Sil- Silvia Garcia agreed to meet virtually Tuesday, 2-1-22, between 2-10 and 2-30, to discuss the Medicare for All bill. We've been trying to get Silvia Garcia to make good on her promise to sign on to H.R. 1976. Since she was elected, we need business orgs, churches, family in CD 929 with specific reasons to nudge her to commitment. Email to get the link. Thank you very much. Silvia Garcia, we are watching Miss Garcia. We are watching. I've interviewed her several times. Uh, she's not going to come out and say Medicare for all until forced to do so. 
and not only her, but several other Texas area Congress people. What we have to do, Kathy, is convince the rest of Americans why Medicare for all is not the option, not one of the options, it's the only option. And what the pandemic has shown and what the thugs in, in suits, the thugs in suits, tits, what the thugs in ties and suits are proven to us, tits, T-I-T-S, is that they are psychopaths and will take and take until we stop them. Eric Hayes says, Trudeau cites 90% of truckers have the right thing for society. No, they did it because of mandates. Of course, they should do it because we should mandate it. Progressive policy via government and wants to take credit for compliance. Um, no. Truckers did it because, uh, as do most, because of uh, the alternative of not having a job to feed their family. Yeah, they should be forced to take it because I don't want a trucker coming into my town from one one crazy town that does not allow vaccinations or whatever and pollute the rest of us. So yes, mandates are good when it comes to public health. And you don't want the mandates, stay the hell away. Tuesday, Democracy Disneyland uh, Spotlight on Wisdom by Kenya Ambassador to UN and Security Council this morning. When elephants fight, grass suffers. Uh, case in point below. Number 45's public confessed last night is exactly why A.G. Garland must call his bluff or we grassroots will be trampled by oligarchic authoritarian elef elephants in all three U.S. cities. You, I mean, all three U.S. government branches. You're absolutely correct, E2247. All but daring the AG to seek a grand jury indictment against him for seditious conspiracy and for giving aid plus comfort to insurrectionists. Look, as one of the topics of the show today is that Trump is a thug. He goes ahead and he tells he's under investigation because the thug tried to uh, effect a coup on the United States. And now he's telling his, his, his minions to go out there and, and, and protest in front in, in Georgia and other places where he is, they're trying or they're, they're looking into the evils that he has done. He wants them to go out there now and, 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 and create disruption. Really? You sure you want to do that, Trump? Okay. So more people are going to get in trouble for him. Norman Reynolds says, one, two, I am here. All right. Uh, uh, Carl Foster says, cancel everyone who does not have your views. Typical leftist behavior. No, I'm, I'm trying to save you, Carl Foster. Grow up and stop canceling. Grow up. No, my dear brother, my dear brother, uh, I am not going to allow the narrative that you have been inculcated with, indoctrinated with, that's causing deaths that hurting people to change what we do. But I do thank you for being here because we hope that somebody here is going to tell you something to put a little bit more into that mind of yours. Eric Hayes says, where was the local government protecting people in the summer of 20... You know what? They, again, they hadn't been informed of how and what this stuff was. Uh, Nanette Bird-Smith, welcome aboard. Says, uh, Eric Hayes worked to benefit them and keep them fa the families healthy. Exactly. Siscat, Oregon will have mandatory indoor public place mask uh, mandate continued and codified into law. Great. Carl Foster says, when you have no food, no patrol, no clothes, are you going to stop the truckers? Then Egberto, no, I tell you what, the truckers will get back to work. But I tell you something, uh, doesn't, if you're dead, none of that matters, right? Anyhow, folks, let's go ahead and get started. We have a great program for you today. We are going to start today with a, a friend of mine, L.A. Justice, about voting. I want you all to listen to L.A. Justice. I and got to get, get this stuff taken care of. I want you to listen to L.A. Justice. Very, very important topic. She wasn't a voter. She suddenly became a voter 
Check this out. We'll take it on the other side. Welcome to one more edition of Politics and Rana McBerto Willis, your host. Today, we are honored to have LA Justice with us. She is a scholar, someone that I'm learning a hell of a lot from as she examines the 1619 Project book with quite a few people on Twitter space. Welcome to Politics Done Right, L.A. Justice. How are you doing today? Thank you. I'm wonderful. How are you? I am doing just fine. But anyhow, L.A., before we get into, and by the way, uh, we I know, she's known all over the internet as L.A. Justice, so look her up. Um, yes. Anyway, <laughs> before we get into 1619 or anything like that, um, one of the things that really made me want to talk to you was something prescient that you said, something very important. As every, you have a 1619 Project Twitter space where you get hundreds of people that participate into this thing and they learn, they read the book together, etc. But that right. wasn't what really got me initially. I learned a lot from it. Mm-hmm. But you mentioned... I never used to uh, necessarily go vote because I thought withholding my vote was some sort of a protest. I've heard yes. that a lot. Yes. And then you said, but I, I, I figured out that my non-vote was actually a vote. First of all, right. explain to me your initial, uh, the, what you thought initially. Um, I believed what has been said so many times about our vote not counting. And I, so I have voted previously. Um, I'll tell, three times in my entire life, I Mm -hmm. have voted. Mm -hmm. Um, I voted in my 20s. And I'm just going to be honest, I did not know what I was doing. I thought I was going in to vote for, I think I was voting for mayor at the time, but then there are all these other amendments and I don't, you know, sorry. Um, and all these other things that I had to vote for that I knew nothing about. And so back then, you know, I was just like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. So I just checked off anything. And I felt so horrible about it that I didn't, I didn't look into how to do it better. And then I just started really to believe in what other people say about our votes, not counting about the, the, which part of this is true about um, billionaires actually being the ones that run this country. Corporations and billionaires do lobby, you know, with politicians. So there, there's a lot of truth in that. However, it doesn't mean that our votes don't count and that our votes don't make a difference. And that's the piece that I was missing. So um, when I uh, when I did vote again. So I'm, okay, I'm 54. So the first time I voted was in my 20s. The second time I voted was when I was 52, two years ago. And um, no, four years ago, I'm sorry, 2018. And then in 2020, 
I voted against uh, Trump. And that, but voting against Trump was my first presidential election. When I voted in 2018, that was a midterm election. Um, so, you know, I, I, I mentioned to someone, I didn't even vote for Obama and they were just shocked. And I was like, yeah, I, I didn't think it would make a difference. Now, interesting, um, LA, um, first of all, there are millions, not thousands, not hundreds of thousands. There are millions of POCs, people of color. There are millions of our white brothers and sisters in Appalachia. There are millions of people that think just that way because right. that is how they were designed to think, right? right. And that is right. what gives the billionaires the power that they have. They still right. only have one vote. Right, right. One vote. But that's what gives them the power, gives them the power, right? And uh, the hardest thing to do, and that's why I thought what you said, I don't know if you saw the importance of what you said on that space, because immediately it got my attention and it was clear that it got the attention of others. It was like, wow. And then if somebody who hadn't voted like you really saw the urgency, it become it shows how important it was. But let me give you a few numbers that I thought was interesting. Okay. Donald Trump, when he, when he lost in 2020, mm -hmm. garnered more votes than Hillary's win in 2016. And notice I said Hillary's, Hillary's win, win in right. 2016 because right. she had a popular vote of over 3 million people. Yep. Think about this. If Democrats, and I'm, a, I'm actually a progressive left-wing, well, like I won't even go there, type of uh, progressive, okay? Right. If, if we had not done the job, Trump would have won not only the electoral college, but the popular vote if we simply yeah. wanted to make Hillary's number. But there's one thing we knew, that there were a lot of LA justices out there, intelligent people who want to vote, who never did vote. And yep. we brought them out. Right. And the thing is, we have to do that over and over again. And if we do that over and over again with the policies that we want, that is when change is going to occur. Right. And, and, but listen, it's when people believe something and let, let me take a step back. There are two things that we are always told you don't talk to people about politics and religion. Right. Right. So when I, I have, I, I, I'm a Christian. I went to seminary. I have a master's in theology. So I'm, I'm a theologian as well as, you know, the other things I do. Um, there is nothing that anyone can say to me to convince me that God does not exist. Mm -hmm. In the same vein, there was, there was nothing anyone could say to convince me that my vote mattered. But politics is not religion. You know, voting is, is doesn't equate to my 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 belief in in God. So I had to do some 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 serious thought. I had to give serious thought to it. I had to dig deep. I've had conversations with friends, 
people unfriended me, and I mean personal friends, unfriended me on Facebook. I've had people have tried to convince me. There was nothing anybody could say to convince me. And I remember a professor saying one day that um, not voting was actually a, po a political position. She said, being apolitical is a political position. And I was like, exactly, somebody gets it. And so that, so that made my conviction even stronger because I was like, that's what I am. I am apolitical and I will always be apolitical. But the, the, the honest truth is that having Trump in office for four years is what made me change my mind. And, and not, not just having Trump. So, so I can't say it's all his fault. Most of it is. But it's actually seeing the constant oppression, um, all these cases of police brutality, everything that has gone on in this country against black and brown people. When I, when I went to seminary, it was during the time that Trayvon mm -hmm. Martin, Michael Brown, mm -hmm. Eric Garner, and, and um, you know, that, that group got killed. Tr uh, Tamir Rice. God, Tamir Rice is the same, well, was the same well, age as my youngest mm -hmm. daughter. They, they, my daughter was 12 too. That killed me. And it sparked something in me. And I, I became an activist in seminary. And so as I started speaking out more and more about social justice, I would always shy away from politics. I wouldn't say anything about it. When I did my master's thesis, my professor forced me to talk about politics. I didn't want to. And he was like, you know, Linda, why would you not want to talk about it? You're a black woman in this country. He's, he's black as well. But he was like, you have to talk about it. And so I talked a little bit about it, but I also felt inadequate to speak about it. And so when, when, when Trump came in, into office, I became more vocal because I knew I had to say something. As an activist, I could no longer remain silent. So as I started speaking out more and more, and as my voice got stronger, and as I started learning more, and then when he was up for re-election in 2020, I said to myself, you know what? I would rather vote and find out later that my vote didn't count, then not to vote and find out later I could have made a difference and it actually did count. And that's what made me vote. That is magic. Let me tell you something that I learned, okay? my I have this show, Politics and Right, that you're on right now. It's about empowering people, right? It's I call it the people's show. The people own the show. They they are the ones that we come here, we learn together. Yes, I'm the one verbalizing everything, but I also learn from my audience as well. Okay. And the one the one thing about it is you you just spoke about it. You just said 
I felt inadequate politically as if I didn't know things politically. And I always put a stop to my audience when they say that, right? And I always tell them, you are living, you have lived, and society impacts you. That's yeah. politics. Yes. You may not know uh, something about that ordinance. You may not know anything about these things here. Exactly. But, but you have a voice and you must always use your voice. Now, yep. uh, and, and, you know, it, it, it is one thing that, and for the, for the followers that I have, the ones that are there all of the time, that is what they love, right? It's like, finally, I'm empowered, not only because I'm learning other things, but because I live, I see the reason that I should actually be a part of the body politic. Right. Now, the other magical thing that you said just now is <laughs> there, you're, a sem you're in seminary school, you got the, your theological theology masters. Mm -hmm. There's absolutely nothing I could have told you when you were in a mode not ready to receive. Right. Okay. Uh, there's nothing I was going to, uh, you know, I could have said, hey, yeah. LA, you need to vote because, but right. because there was not the platform there within your mind for me to land that message, it wasn't right. going to get there. So I wrote a book called It's Worth It, How to Speak to Your Right-Wing Relatives, Friends, and Neighbors. And the reason the reason I did that in, 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 in the different pieces and the different guts of that book was that idea, right? Mm -hmm. I tell stories of things, right? with the expectation that people are not gonna say, oh, I've seen the light. Right. Nobody says that. I don't know who says that. Anybody that I talk to, they tell me, oh, I've seen the light. I'm like, oh my God, they are gonna change tomorrow when John Peter tells them to see the light. <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> I don't wanna convince somebody like that. I want them to convince themselves. themselves. And what That's I just heard thing. from you, what I just heard from you, as you said, there's nothing anybody could say. The professor forced you to write about politics. That didn't matter. But then you would have preferred to vote not knowing than to vote and realize that if you had voted, you would have made a difference. And that 8 million difference differential proves that that's exactly what happened. Yep. And let me tell you, it, it, it's funny that you, you grabbed onto that because <laughs> even when I was in seminary, I there I went in there with different beliefs and came out a completely changed person. So I've changed both religiously and politically. Mm -hmm. I was and I don't want to get into a religious conversation, but this is just who I am. Right. Um I went in with very conservative religious beliefs. Mm -hmm. Like a, a lot of Christians have. I had a professor who, and this same, the same professor, he, and I love him to death. I used to argue with him in class because what he was teaching went up against my beliefs. So it's, it's very similar. And again, I had to dig deep to, 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 to understand my purpose for going to seminary but to understand what, like, what he was teaching, because the seminary I went to taught theology from a social justice perspective. Mm -hmm. So, and, and that was something, you know, I never heard of. Christians fighting for social justice, really? 
And so it took a Reverend lot. Barber. What was that? Reverend Barber. Yes, absolutely. He actually went to Drew. That's where I he, I went to his alma mater. Okay, great. So, yeah. yes. <laughs> um, so, yes. So, he, um, my professor, um, you know, he was very, he was very um, patient with me. And then one day I was just like, I, you know, I just heard just Linda, just close your mouth. Sometimes he didn't say this. This is, you know, me in deep prayer, just close your mouth. And so I was like, oh, all right. Maybe if I just close my mouth and stop arguing and really try to understand the perspective that he's coming from, maybe I'll see things differently. And I did. And that's what turned me into an activist. And it's, you know, for that same reason that I am now a voter, because I just wanted to understand what is the big deal about voting? Well, Trump taught me what the big deal is about voting. And so, and, and not only that, even after voting, what I have um, done and, and have been doing all along, but it's come full circle now, is um, while in seminary and, and, you know, becoming this Black liberation theologian, I had to learn about my own history. And I did that because of seminary, because my original background is science. I have a bachelor's in biology, a master's in biochemistry. I was only focused on science. That's part of why I wasn't worried about anything else. Hate to say it, but I thought I knew enough about my own black history. I was learning things from white professors that I didn't know about myself, my own history. And I was like, oh no, that is not gonna happen. So I, I had to start learning. And as I started learning, when I started learning about the history of voter suppression mm -hmm. against Black people, dating all the way back to Reconstruction, which, by the way, the 1619 Project also talks about in mm -hmm. Nicole Hannah-Jones's book, um, it made me realize that this is, this, is, this is the cycle. If our vote didn't matter, there wouldn't have been a historical, we wouldn't have a history of backlash against us from uh, Reconstruction, from, I don't know if anybody knows, there was a Civil Rights Act in 1870 called the, the Ku Klux Klan Act because of the KKK going after uh, Black voters, you know, during that time frame. So there had to be a Civil Rights Act to, to reinforce the 15th Amendment. So that's three... We had Reconstruction, the 15th Amendment, the Civil Rights Act of 1870. Then we had to have the Civil Rights Act of 1965. And now we have to have the John Lewis Civil Rights. So all the, you know, all these things that we always have to have because there's always backlash when we gain any little bit of political power. And that tells us how much our vote actually does count exactly right i couldn't I, I couldn't have said it any better myself that is what's so important and that is why 
uh, say, going in a let's segue to your 1619 project because I mean I think it's a perfect segue until you learn all those pieces of history and I'm learning you know as my daughter reads a book and as I listen to you guys on 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 Twitter space I'm learning you know the different aspects you're telling me yeah when I get a chance to read the book the the the, the, the more yes. realistic thing is I am unlikely to have a chance to read the book but that said learning from you guys I think is it's 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 it's, it's great you know yeah. uh, but um why did you start that 1619 project space because there there's a lot of backlash even on my show I have all my con the conservatives that come to my show they have all kinds of things against the 1619 project of course oh. I know that it's been made a caricature of by the right why mm -hmm. did you start it I started it first as um, we, our group, writers and editors of color, um, started it on Medium first because, so it's, it is a publication, it's called The Case for the 1619 Project, but I was, I, I don't know what, I, I was on the New York, no, I was on Google, and I think I Googled it, and I saw an article criticizing it. And so I went back to the group and I was like, oh, my God, we need to write about this. She's getting criticized like horribly. And so nobody, everybody is like, oh, yeah, we should do it. And nobody really paid much attention. But then um, the co-founders of the group came to me to ask me if I would manage it as a project and, and take it on, you know, and, and, and build the pub which um, Allison built the pub, but, you know, getting, getting people to contribute to the pub, you know, advertising it, the whole nine. Pub is so publication, said, folks. Just need to tell them. Everybody, oh. not, all, not all people that are listening to this are the professional writers that you guys are. So sometimes we have to kind of. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> um, so, so we started the publication just to advocate for it, to support it, because we believed in it. Um, we all, you know, read all of the articles that are on the project and on the New York Times online. And so we supported it that way. And we have different contributors contributing to it. We go through a peer review. Even I go through a peer review with the articles that I've contributed. Um, you know, and and we just really want to talk about the criticism, talk about our own personal stories. Um, for me, it's very personal because it's not just part of my ancestral past. It's also part of my family history because my great great grandfather was enslaved. So, you know, I I I wanted to I soak up anything that I can get about um, history and, and about slavery. And so as, you know, I wanted to learn more, I gravitated towards the 1619 Project. Plus I, you know, I kept hearing a lot of good things about it. So as I learned more, I was like, wow, we really, really need to support it. So we did that. And then later found out that she came out with the book. And I was just like, oh, my God, because I love reading in addition to, you know, loving to write. So I was like, oh, my God, I can get even more of this. 
you know, so I just got really excited. And I was like, look, everybody, we need to start a book club and we need to do it immediately. Get the book. It's going to come out in, you know, November, blah, blah. So we just made it a whole project. Somebody else took on the responsibility of managing the um, the Twitter account for the project. So we just um, we just ran with it. And it's been very successful. Well, I mean, we're coming close to the end of the interview. So I want to, want to ask you a favor. I didn't ask you to do this before, but I want you to tell my conservative listeners, why is it they need to disregard all the crap they're hearing about the, 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 in, in, the, in the attempts to malign uh, the 1619 Project, both the project at New York Times and the book, and why it is also in their interest to learn. Because, I mean, before you answer, I want to say something that I think about most people, right? I may be, a, I may be you know, uh, what's the word? Uh, altru- too altruistic. But I, 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 start, I believe most people are good. Everybody. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest fear is that when America looks in the mirror and see what has occurred, given that most people are going under the assumption that most people are good, they would right. suddenly see that there were not only not a people in our in the sixteen nineteen case the case for black people, mm-hmm. but for many other people that were simply maligned in this country. And one of the things that I that I promote to my audience all of the times is that racism and all these other isms are tools for a few to control the entire body. Right. And if you break those chains, and I'm not talking about chains within people's, if you break the chains within people's minds, mm-hmm. suddenly the human within people start to come out. Right. And that's dangerous. Your thoughts? <laughs> right. So th- the thing is, first of all, we all know that slavery happened. There, there's, there's no doubts about that. Um, but what people don't always want to know is how horrific it was because it, they take it to mean that because their white ancestors enslaved my black ancestors, that makes them racist too, or that makes them guilty. Nobody's saying that, you know, Joe Smith is a racist or, you know, nobody's pointing individual fingers at individual people and saying you're to blame. That's not what this is about, but it's about telling accurate American history that so oftentimes leaves out the contributions of Black people to that history, to our democracy. We, we, we were enslaved when the Constitution was written, when the, when, when, when the Declaration of Independence was written. It, 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 our humanity wasn't realized and oftentimes still isn't realized. And so reading the 1619 Project really should not make anyone feel awful. What it really should do is just make you want to make this country better. 
and walking around with blinders on thinking that it's good enough as it is is it's unrealistic and it's simply not true it's just not true this country constantly proclaims liberty and justice for all but look at what it's done not just historically what it's doing currently the filibuster is still you know keeping the john lewis voting rights act from being passed and this is 2022 slavery ended in 1865 la justice manager of the wokes the woke project the 1619 project uh thank you so kindly actually before i say that i want to say that my one of my biggest finds and this was thanks to arturo dominguez mm-hmm. was to have found woke because i found in woke first of all a warmth secondly some damn smart people who don't only know history, but know a hell of a lot more. And it just felt home. So I want to thank you guys for what you guys have created there, first of all. But secondly, thank you for all that you do. Again, LA Justice, look her up. Thank you for having been on Politics Done Right. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Okay, folks, I hope you enjoyed that. I sure enjoyed speaking to L.A. Uh, for, uh, for, for that, that interview. Uh, coming back to my list here, let's see what we got. Let's see what we got. Uh, good for her for voting, I imagine, is what Eric Hayes had to say. Carl Cox says, I met big former Carl Cox. I never got the message. Michael Rodden says, Pericles, just because you do not take an interest in politics doesn't mean politics won't take an interest in you. And that's what she's discovered. And that is what we have to bring to the attention of millions of Americans, the half of Americans that don't vote consistently. That's the message that we need to get to them. And understanding how a very smart woman like L.A. Justice for decades didn't vote and how she came to the realization and how she told herself. Because when people come to the realization themselves, and that's what I explain in my book, It's Worth It, How to Talk to Your Right-Wing Relatives, Friends, and Neighbors. We can talk these things. What we're doing is planting seeds with the expectation that sometime the fertilizer will be there for it to grow. In the late 60s and 70s, there was a reaction to those who did not vote. The reaction was then quit complaining. Peggy Lopez did say, yes, that's true. But again, none of that meant much to a whole lot of people and still doesn't. Look at, look at the people who don't vote in Appalachia. Look at the people who don't vote in the ghettos and the barrios and around. Voting will do the most for them because we'll get the people who would help their condition, but they don't vote because of the things we learn. Because there, there's so much to it than just saying, go vote. And that's what I've learned in speaking to people after people after people. Now, Michael Sell Rodman says, I've had it. Feeling too pissed off today to continue listening to this SHIT. Bye. Michael Rudnan, I think at this point, felt, well, hell, you should be voting. Again, that is where we come in. We have to be there. We have to have the place for people to land. Linda is telling truth right now, E2247 says. Nanette Birdsmith says, Michael Rudnan, that's very unlike you. (laughs) It is. Carl Cox says, Michael Rudnan doesn't like hearing the truth today. Bye. I guess it concerns Carl Cox too. Uh, he said he had a headache. That's, we have to remember that. And this is where the compassion and empathy comes. 
Michael Rundin, the first thing he said when he came onto the show is that he had a striking headache. When you have a striking headache, things get on your nerves real quickly. Uh, Barbara Hughes says, thank you, thank you, thank you. And welcome aboard, Barbara Hughes. Uh, Barbara Hughes, E2247. Uh, Rose Williams says, replying to every case, how about laws then? Do laws mean no freedom just because I can't do whatever I want? Characterizing mandates in this way is utterly ludicrous. Rose William, that's the magic, what you just said there. Rose also says, this is a terrible call by the Supreme Court. The federal government is supposed to protect its citizens, and this is a public health matter. Bruce Pollard is here. Buenos, buenas tardes, Bruce Pollard. How are you doing, my brother? Carl Cox says, conservatives hate public education because students might realize that their future of a good-paying job with rights, their health, their consumer rights, and safe, clean environment will be in danger. That's the reason why. An educated citizen... Look, democracy can only survive with the vast majority of your population educated. You know, we talk about wanting to promote democracy all around the world. It doesn't work. I'm sorry. Democracy doesn't work in every country. And it, it couldn't work in every country. It's great to say that. But I gave you guys the example of, the, of having seeds. In, in a world of uneducated people, if they see a bag of seeds and they're hungry people and that bag of seeds is left, no matter what, they want to use that seed to feed. They're hungry. They're not willing to sacrifice. An educated population would say, oh, those are all the seeds that's left. We can multiply that, that amount of seeds by orders of magnitude if we'll wait three months and allow it to grow. Democracy only works with an educated population. And what the, 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 and fascism work with when you have a population that is misled, uninformed, indoctrinated, etc. And Trump said it himself. I like stupid people. Trump said those are his voters. I didn't say it. Trump said it. And he's right. He wants voters as shallow as he is. Right? Okay. Uh, Eric Hayes says, question, why do we have May Mayor Pete in charge of infrastructure when in eight years as mayor of South Bend he couldn't fix the potholes? You know, that, those are silly questions, right? Potholes require that you have the tax base to fill them. No mayor wants potholes. They make sacrifices based on their population and what they can get. Just, just note. Okay. Uh, uh, Rose says, the facts are that this country is still being crippled by a pandemic largely because of the number of people who won't get vaccinated and won't protect others. And that's what we talk about, the uneducated or the willfully ignorant, right? We want, why can't Biden solve this, this epidemic problem? He needs to solve it. Okay, to solve it, you all have to get vaccinated. Why does Biden want to be a dictator to tell me to get vaccinated? Do you want the problem solved or not? And that's the... That's the, that's the complete irrationality, willful ignorance of those who follow the right-wing messaging. And that is what we have to break. Rose Williams says, once your freedom threatens others, then you have the, no right to it. That's the magic there. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Exactly. All right, let's see. Uh, Eric Hayes says, question, why do we have Mayor Pete in charge? No, 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 no. Again, again, I read that already and it makes no sense. That's why. Uh, Daniel says, I'm tired of POCs complaining about being oppressed. I think they don't understand real oppression. Their casual usage of the word lessens the suffering of people who are actually oppressed. 
That from somebody who hasn't got a clue, my dear brother Daniel Ledo. You know, again, like I said, one of the things that's lacking to many is this stuff called empathy. And it's clear that you are not there. Okay, folks, I, I want to get this out of the way. There are a lot of people that's been talking about this country is so divided we're headed to civil war. This country has been divided before. This country has had issues before. We are not going to know darn civil war. There are, there are a few kooks out there that somehow believe that things are so bad that we're going to pick up arms against each other and just blow stuff up. Yeah, we're going to have a lot of folks on the right who... Are, are pretty darn crazy and they're going to come out and kill a few people and blow up a few things. But we had that in the States. We are not going to a civil war. So disregard that out of your minds. And, I, I, and, and you know, there are people making money writing books about civil war. I made mention about civil war, not in the context of real civil war, whatever. But I, I found somebody a, a couple of days ago that got it just right. So I want you guys to listen to him and then we'll take it on the other side. In tonight's episode of A House Divided, we will consider what we've learned from our first two guests in this series, Professor Barbara F. Walter, the author of How Civil Wars Start, and Stephen Marsh, the author of The Next Civil War. Both of those books refer to the 30 years of sporadic violence in Northern Ireland in the second half of the 20th century in imagining what a 21st century American civil war might look like. Joining us now is Fintan O'Toole columnist and writer for the Irish Times. He is the visiting professor in Irish letters at Princeton University. His brilliant essay in The Atlantic is titled, Beware Prophecies of Civil War. Of what should we beware in prophecies of civil war? I think, uh, Lawrence, what we should be afraid of is that, of course, there are in America an awful lot of people who've been fantasizing about civil war for a long time. Uh, you know, the, the far right in America has had this narrative going um, really for decades now that, oh, America's really already in a civil war. Um, this apocalyptic rhetoric really is very much part of their DNA. And they've been ramping it up. You know, we, we, we saw this, of course, on, on, on January 6th. And the reason that they like to talk of civil war, of course, is that it seems to validate the idea that you're no longer in a democratic contest between people who have different points of view. You're actually in an existential struggle. The phrase civil war itself, to me, uh, seems to be being used rather loosely. Uh, we never considered it a civil war in Northern Ireland. We didn't consider it a civil war in 1969 through 1970 when there were hundreds of bombings against the federal government uh, in the United States uh, to protest the Vietnam War. But that kind of condition in these new books is being described, or things like it, being described as civil wars. It's almost like we're setting up a kind of a false argument, like that it's either civil war or everything is nice and rosy in the garden. You know? And the horrible thing, and, and, and we know this so well from Ireland, is that actually, you know, you, you can have something that's not civil war, but it's still pretty obscene and pretty terrible. There have been 
many periods in American history, other than the Civil War itself, you know, where many people would have told you that they were experiencing conditions in their own communities, particularly a lot of African-American communities. There is a level of endemic political violence in, in the US for, from, from the right and sometimes, as you said, from the left, um, which, which, you know, has to be taken very, very seriously. And we have to understand the amount of suffering it causes. But I think calling it Civil War... And then projecting that into an imaginary future and saying that America's set for a civil war, it seems to me somehow misses the point that a lot of this stuff has been around for a long time, but also misses the point that actually thinking about the imaginary future can distract you from thinking about some of the stuff that's staring you right in the face right now, which is which is insurrection and, and, and how you deal with it. Uh, my own personal belief is that uh, those, you know, 75 million uh, Trump voters who, uh, not, not all of them obviously were outraged by the uh, election. Uh, a couple of thousand of them were outraged enough to go to Washington one day. Most of them are now facing federal trials. One of the leaders of the group, uh, so-called Oath Keeper leader, who said before, before January 6th, as you report, we've descended into civil war. He said that in December He's in federal custody tonight. Uh, I, I personally just don't see anything that leads to the tinder in this country that could create anything that we would call civil war. And that is a fact. I mean, the truth of the matter is I speak to folks all over on the, from very right of me to there are not many left of me, but a few that's left of me. And yeah, people disagree and people get emotional and get pissed all of that. Civil war. There is no civil war coming to this country. What we need to do is prevent the plutocracy who would love to see a whole lot of disruption to make more money and guns and, and making the pol- make money and selling stuff to the police and all that kind of stuff. That's what they want. Let's not give it to them. I read my book. It's worth it. Uh, it's worth it. How to talk to your right-wing relative, friends, and neighbors. Because I tell you what, we can all get along whether we agree or not. And since I've completely entirely forgotten to talk about uh, joining us, please, if you are on YouTube, please click that join button. Become a part of our posse. Become a member of Politics Done Right. Uh, we actually need you. There are other ways that you can support us. And let me go ahead and pull that up if I can find it. There we go. Uh, if you are not on YouTube where you can click that join button, go to politicsandright.com slash YouTube. politicsandright.com slash YouTube. Alternatively, go to politicsandright.com slash patron. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N, P-A-T-R-E-O-N to support us. And of course, one of the better ways to support us as well is via PayPal, politicsandright.com slash PayPal. By the way, our store has a whole lot of good stuff in there, new products in there. Go to politicsandright.com slash store, politicsandright.com slash store. Get all our books at politicsandright.com slash books politicsandright.com slash books. And if you want to find a catch-all place, how can I really support this Politics Done Right program to make sure that we can get the progressive message out? Go to politicsandright.com slash support. Daniel Ledo says, to dismiss the notion out of hand is naive or willfully dishonest. Which is it? And not because you give two choices means that there are two choices. It is definitely, uh, it shows that, uh, again, you think you have all the answers? Nanette Birdsmith says, Team Ashley Strong. Thank you, Egberto. And by the way, if you look at the newsletter that goes out every day with this show, there's a link to Ashley's uh, writings. Check it out, please. Anyway, Ashley says, 
The show Station Eleven on HBO is about a post-flu-like illness pandemic that killed like half the world's population. It doesn't seem like science fiction anymore. I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. Uh, we also have, uh, let's see, Rose. Kathy says, oh, that is to Michael. Kathy says, welcome aboard, Paul Fleming. Just seeing your note now. Rose says, I hope I'll be protected, but there were 3,000 deaths across the country this weekend. Okay, let me just say something about those deaths. The vast majority of those deaths were from those who were unvaccinated, unboosted. Follow the rules, Rose Williams. You will be fine. There a small few people that are vaccinated are going to die because even with the flu of small few people that get vaccinated, die, etc. But in the aggregate, you will be fine. Try to convince your right-wing brothers, sisters, neighbors, or whatever. Please get it. I care about you. Please get the vaccine. But the thing about it is, as the vaccine kills 3,000 people, remember who are these 3,000 people? Our friends who are listening to those charlatanes, to those crooks, to those evil beings on the right. Let's keep talking to them. Let's not throw them to the curb. Let's keep bringing them into the fold. That is how we're going to do it. We are going to have to keep talking to them. We can't be as evil, or we cannot be evil like those who they follow. We have to give them love. We have to give them support. We have to make sure that we just don't throw it away. And it's not, we're, we're, we're doing that for them, but we're also doing that for us. Because if they continue to be infected, if they continue to do stupidity, it also affects us. Egberto, your show prep and devotion to actually doing politics done right, both the concept and the show, are singular. Thank you so kindly for those kind words, sir. Uh, replying to Rose, of course, I'm vaccinated, but I'm concerned about the many who are not. They are still dying. Exactly, Rose. And, we, and let's hold our concern for those who are dying and let's help them get across. If you listen to my show today, I'm going one, two minutes over. If you listen to what, um, what uh, LA Justice said, she had to come to the realization herself. She had to be the one making the decision. But she had help. Let's help our brothers and sisters who are getting themselves killed because a lot of right-wingers who care nothing about them, who just care about making a dollar off of them, don't mind that some of them must suffer death in order for them to maximize their profits. This is Egberto Willis. This is Politics and Run, and you guys know how I end this, baby. I am what? What am I? Out! We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.